As we stand on the cusp of 2024, the world of recruitment and talent acquisition is undergoing a shift unlike any before. Gone are the days when recruitment was purely a transactional function focused solely on filling vacant positions. Today, recruitment is a dynamic, evolving system that holds the keys to an organization's growth, culture, and ultimate success. Technologies, trends, and data are reshaping what it means to get high-quality, high-performing talent. And businesses need to keep up to stay afloat. I'm Joe McIntyre, host of Back to Work. And on this episode, we discuss the world of talent acquisition, where innovation and strategy intertwined to shape the future of organizations. Joining me for this episode is Matt Rivera, Senior Vice President of Marketing and Communications at Yale. Matt will help show how to future-proof your recruitment strategy amid changing trends and challenges, while also gaining insights to navigate the dynamic landscape of talent acquisition effectively. Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Joe. Glad to be here. In the first part of our discussion, let's talk a little bit about the new trends and challenges that businesses faced in 2023, as we all had to grapple with uh, while navigating that ever-changing terrain of talent acquisition. Matt, can you paint us a picture of the recruiting and talent acquisition space in 2023? What was unique or different? What was the same, maybe? And what were some of the issues, challenges, and and you know, opportunities uh, that we had this year? Yeah, I'd say that you could call it a tale of maybe two types of employment, although there's certainly more than that. But I'd say we have jobs right now that there are just not enough people to fill. Nurses, I mean, we all hear about them, nurses, teachers, um, engineers in general, but you know, in the areas where we work with very specialized high-tech, uh, things like product engineering, uh, those who are um, you know working on AI and things like that, um, and others, it's very difficult. Um, and then we have jobs where we have candidates and sometimes a lot of candidates, but companies have pulled back hiring or changed their strategies post-COVID. Things have changed a lot, certainly for tech companies, for sure. But, um, you know, so if you're responsible for talent acquisition, you have some unique challenges. You have areas where it's very difficult, very time-consuming to find people, and others where you have lots of applicants to go through, but fewer positions. And both of these take time and resources. So, you know, and, and, you know, we see companies right now questioning whether to hold and not hire, wanting to keep people they have, or, you know, having to let people go just because, you know, we're getting late in the year here. And if you're not having a very good year, time's running out, you know, we're, we're in fourth quarter. So it's, it's going to be tough. So on, on the opportunity side, I do think workers in demand are still in the driver's seat for many areas. But we've seen uh, many of them now thinking about staying put. You know, I think early, you know, right after COVID, there was a lot of people moving around and willing to move around. I think they're staying put or there's a lot of people we find even going back to their companies after moving around. So it's really kind of wild out there, but it makes recruiting very, very difficult right now. And, And so I think companies are looking at technology, they're trying to figure it out. But I think overall, Talent acquisition professionals are really caught in the middle right now. Now, I think we know that like inflation, increased coverage of labor movements, that affects the hiring space at large. But for Yo, who works in such like high quality, kind of high um, high performing talent, tech space, healthcare, that kind of stuff, does it affect it as much? Um, you know, inflation and you know. Uh, trends with with labor movements, even the jobs report, does it affect as much or not as much in the you know the the high performing talent space? 
Well, I think that um, it's interesting. I think tech companies are still sitting on some cash, but I'm sure it's running out. They lost a lot of jobs, but many of those were the ramp up in response to COVID in lots of areas. So, you know, companies are looking for some kind of equilibrium, you know, but but I think it's difficult. And I think you have a lot of factors, certainly, uh, especially in tech, which, you know, things like the retiring population of baby boomers, young people, maybe not as many going into tech, or at least not in the in the numbers that we need. And although I think, you know, some of those numbers are rising a little bit, but we we have, you know, an economy that's still a bit uncertain. I think we're starting to they're starting to tamper down the, you know, tamp down the talk about recession. And, you know, maybe we'll we will get a soft landing, but who knows how long that will last. So that's that's definitely having an impact. And then we're entering a, an election year. So you got that. There's there's certainly a lot going on right now. Um, I think one thing that I noticed is that uh, investment in the staffing areas, staffing and recruiting by private equity has slowed down. Now, that was a pretty hot market, you know, in the last couple of years, but it indicates to me a bit of softness and maybe we're hitting the bottom, which would be good. It means there's only one way. Um, but I think for companies and for talent acquisition people, that's the question. When will it pick back up? And it certainly will. But, you know, what do you do when, when it does pick back up? Yeah, let's keep going on 2024 here. Um, you mentioned an election year, and I think we've talked about this before, but there are um, businesses that do change their hiring plans based on, you know, a pause before the election and changing it based on after. What other trends or what other um, changes do you see happening in 2024 in the talent space that may kind of reshape how organizations need to think about uh, their staffing needs? Well, I think that there are certainly a lot of trends that point to different uses of technology, and um, I'm sure we'll talk a little more about that. Um, but, you know, the the idea of these cycles that happen, I think they're happening faster. So I think the we used to see these and we've seen them before. And if you look, you know, um, you can see along with the economy, the cycles that happen and uh, the cycles coming around back for temporary labor. It's a bellwether. To hire permanently but you know interestingly enough we've seen permanent hiring still stay strong in some markets so companies still need high impact highly skilled people and want to get them before other companies do so i think one trend that's happening is i think that companies hopefully are you know less likely to go by the trends and some of these troughs and have some ongoing hiring strategies that really can help them no matter what's going on externally, you know, can help them find the talent they need. And I think that's the key for most companies is finding that mix. And it used to be where you could maybe kind of cycle down, cycle up, uh, maybe have a talent acquisition team and then not have a talent acquisition team. I don't think you can do that as much anymore. The cycles are are too fast and, and they're too unpredictable. Uh, we've seen RPO. Um, recruitment process outsourcing make a bit of a comeback because I think companies still need good talent, their core talent that they need, and it's hard to find. And it's hard for them to keep, you know, some people. So I think that there's, you know, a lot of things that are impacting how talent acquisition will go in, in the next couple of years here. And technology's certainly one of them, but there's a lot more out there. 
Yeah, certainly having a strategy makes a lot of sense. Uh, easier said than done, I'm sure, for a lot of businesses, uh, especially the smaller ones, but even even large ones. Do you see that um, smaller companies, you know, 50 or fewer, 100 or fewer, are having the same challenges as larger companies, or are they kind of different issues when it comes to, to Talnac? Yeah, so there's the difference, I think, is that, you know, smaller companies – don't have that expertise, right? So in-house having that expertise has always been an issue. Hiring managers kind of know who who they want, and uh, but if you put a hiring manager on, you know, um, on a search for somebody, you're taking them away from a project. You're taking them away from their, you know, what they do and what they're supposed to do. And some are, you know, um, probably admittedly they'll tell you they're not the best at it. So I think for small companies, you have that issue. But I think for larger companies, you have a similar issue in that you've got um, hiring a diverse range of hiring managers who may be in that same boat, and they've got to communicate to talent acquisition. So if you centralized it, they've got to communicate their needs to talent acquisition. That's a tall order for talent acquisition, and especially if there's fewer in talent acquisition. So I think that's one of the ways it's the same but different, you know, and, and I think that companies are struggling. In a lot of different ways. Yeah, you mentioned technology a few minutes ago, and I think it would be uh, wild to not mention 2024 recruiting without talking about AI, artificial intelligence. So it can be scary for some, exciting for others. How do you think it's going to reshape the workforce, maybe generally, uh, as we head into 2024? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a big question. <laughs> and uh, it's happening right now. It's happening quickly. And that's really probably the biggest thing is it's happening quickly. And, um, you know, it's funny, these are some of the same questions we got back when applicant tracking systems made their debut and basic screening questions that were used by ATSs and people are saying, oh, well, the, you know, the, the, the computer, the, the website, the ATS is going to provide those screening questions and we'll screen out all these people and it'll be much easier. And, you know, we're going way back to <laughs> way back to the early 2000s, right? <laughs> so not really that long ago, but... <laughs> The, the question was, and the question with AI will be the human element and how much you can take out of the process, how much you can really take. And there's efficiencies to be gained. And, you know, I think there are some things that it will really help with or could potentially help with if you're careful with it. But I still believe that AI, um, you know, it's, it's going to do some of the same things that companies have been using ATSs for, high volume positions, very defined skills. And I think it's yet to be seen how it gets used for other positions, say like highly skilled project management, people managing positions. Like how can it really, you know, how can it really parse those and find people for that? And the, I think the last thing or one of the really interesting thing is uh, probably the use of technology to assess who might be the most successful in a given position. So there's lots of cycles and lots of algorithms out there. I think they're starting to look at some of that, but you know, human beings are always going to be tough to predict. You know, you can put in all the factors, what's happening inside and outside a company, markets, the economy, you know, all of those things that can impact hiring or how somebody can be successful or where they are right now in their career versus, you know, what where the company and they will be next year. But, you know, humans will always be better at making some of those determinations. And I think more the issue is, could it help or will it help after they get hired? Because the hiring is the first part, right? But, you know, you got to keep them on the job. And the AI is not going to really help support them when they're on the job. So, but that may be another useful way 
to, to think about AI. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, the human element obviously is the biggest part of getting people jobs and the people getting jobs are humans themselves for the most part. Uh, so you kind of hope that's still involved. But maybe like, I mean, I guess you mentioned candidate journey and making that possible. But once someone has been hired, especially with jobs no longer being 100% in person uh, or even probably even fewer 100% remote, there's a way to kind of navigate that. Uh, and maybe technology as a role, maybe it doesn't. But um, what do you kind of see as, you know, candidate journey and how do we improve that in a world where not everybody's just coming to work five days a week anymore? You know, I certainly see the candidate experience making a comeback. At least I hope it does. I've been hearing about some really bad experiences out there, multiple interviews, no callbacks, no response to applicants from companies. And, and it really goes back to, you know, having those two groups I talked about, right? You got a lot to do. So do you, you know, do you look at the tons of applicants coming in or do you look at the high impact ones and kind of deal with that? So I think there's, you know, a lot of, there should be a lot of emphasis on improving that candidate journey. And I don't know that we're there yet. I think we're using much more technology. We're connecting better, you know, video interviewing and all those things also, you know, were pushed for years and years before COVID. And now it's just, you know, you and I are on a, a video call and you know that's not a big thing it's not not a big deal and, and that's how most people are getting interviewed now at least for first level interviews i'm sure even if they're doing that some companies aren't even doing that so i think it's it's about connecting i think that companies really need to take more care with with that candidate experience and i don't you know they can't rely too heavily on technology i don't think it replaces some of those um and i think that Companies right now are being careful with their hires, and that can be good and bad. But I've heard four to five rounds of interviews in some cases, you know, which is crazy. And this is after they've probably already gone through the technology. So that's not a great experience. Um, and if you have that many, you have that many steps, I want to take a look at your process. That probably not, it's probably not helping people get to your company. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, if we're going to improve this, it's probably got to improve the process. And that most likely begins with getting people who, like you mentioned before, aren't experts in talent, aren't experts in hiring, but relying on those people who are and those organizations who are to institute a process and make it so much easier, not just for the company, but for the people looking to get your jobs too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, I think let's shift a little bit to a bit of a pivotal aspect, I'd say, of modern recruiting, uh, employer branding, uh, and it has an undeniable impact on talent acquisition. More more today probably than ever before. Can you talk a little bit about how the concept of employer branding has evolved over the past few years and how it influences companies' ability to attract top talent uh, in what is, like you said, the, a super competitive job market? I think we've seen much more transparency on companies, their, their management, their culture. We used to have things early on that we thought were kind of new and and you know where where ratings and stuff on companies were out there and some of those things but it's hard to get a good feel um now you have with social media with um you know companies putting things on their website with esg reports and other indicators you've got a fair amount of information out there so i think what we've seen certainly from certain parts of um, certain members of, of the candidates out there, certain parts of that population who want to know what a company stands for. They want to know about its values. They want to know how they're dealing with the world at large, not just 
the, the job or their company or, you know, um, how they're impacting the world. Cultural elements um, like employee resource groups and, and, you know, inclusion and diversity, those types of things. And I'll say this, um, because we live in such a divisive time right now, some, some of these things that get labeled as uh, liberal or woke or, you know, are not always considered positive to many people. Right. So you have candidates, employees who they don't like them or don't want to hear about them. And your company has to make a decision where they stand. And at some point you're going to have to respond. And at some point it's going to be out there. So the brand and values are probably more important than ever. But it's also probably tougher than ever because companies are, you know, seeing seeing some backlash and seeing, you know, uh, certain members of the population who are not ready to go there. And some people that, you know, and, and I'm sure it's 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 everything. It's generational, it's politics, it's anything you can think of that they don't want that from their company sometimes. And others really do. Yeah, it feels like there's a more delicate balance between being authentic as a company and being, you know, just projecting this perfect employer or whatever it is. And also being like, self-depreciating people don't want to hear like what's terrible necessarily about their uh future employers but they want them to be authentic so is there is there a balance there and maybe that just comes out mostly in the interview or the candidate journey more so than anything else but how do you kind of define authenticity in in hiring yeah and i think that's where you know when you talk about technology and you talk about some of the ways that you, your process works, especially your talent acquisition process, but even just within your company, right? It's it's those interactions with real people that give you those kind of, you know, markers and things that you're looking for for authenticity. I mean, you can say all the right things, you can have all the right stuff out there, but when they get in front of somebody, and, and this is one thing, and, you know, we can touch a little more on this later as we go through some of the other things um, that I know we want to talk about, but, every, you know, I think everything is local. Right. So companies can say all this great stuff, but then they get into the, you know, into the office in Poughkeepsie and that manager is not living by the values and not saying the same things the rest of the company is. That experience goes south really quick and and that's all that employee knows and that's all the employee cares about. So it's not, you know, something that you can um, just put out there and hope everybody you know, is is acting that way. Uh, everybody's got to be on board. Everybody's got to be doing it. And all of your managers and all the people in your local offices and places have to really be operating that way. And that's authenticity. That's where they that's where people feel authentic. And, and you know, even a few of those experiences can really negatively affect your brand. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're getting into the world of, you know, even DE&I and inclusivity. I think that's kind of what we what we need to talk about there's certainly so much more conversation about it and like you said if it's not happening in one area of the company but it could be happening 80 percent of it then it's probably still not effective so how does this concept of sustainable and again authentic DEI look in 2024 what does what does that mean and i think how can organizations do their best to ensure that um they're providing a similar experience or a positive experience across all aspects of the company yeah, I think that it's some of the things we've already talked about, right? So it's having that transparency and having a good process. And 
it's important because right now you've got to gain and companies are really hopefully you know understanding that they need to gain access to the best talent out there and the most diverse talent you know pool that's out there because you know there just aren't enough people in in a lot of these positions and so i think that's you know really you know super important for people to think about but one important note before we kind of get too far into just diversity and some of the things around that is is inclusivity has to come first and i think that's part of what we talked about with being authentic you have to have the environment that's accepting and supporting of this diverse range of employees and when we say diverse you know we mean all the ways people can be different so that could be not just ethnicity or gender or identity it could be people who are disabled veterans neurodiversity any number of unseen ways that people can be different so i guess you know when when we think about it i think one of the top things or one a good starting point for companies is being inclusive looking for ways across your organization that will support and be welcoming to a diverse range of abilities you know from your employees so that when you do go through that hiring process you have you're, you're taking that into consideration and and then when they get there that's the actual experience they have yeah i think um every company i'm sure has holes when it comes to inclusion diversity um equity i'd hope most of them would be willing to or want to fill them. But how do you kind of find out where your gaps are? Is there without, is it just say, hey, let's ask our employees. Is there, we need to bring in someone, some outside expert to kind of find them to make sure we're delivering and providing an experience, um, an employee experience that works. How do you kind of find out where we're missing before we even uh, figure out how to solve it? <laughs> yeah, so the answer is probably yes to all those. But I think that I my experience is that this idea of you know diversity inclusion belonging you know all of those types of of things is a journey it's a it's a you know companies some companies are at different places i'd say that you know we're our company's in a really good place but there's more work to be done and it gets harder you know the longer you go so you know if your company is not really doing the basics like engagement surveys and talking to talking to your employees and talking to your candidates about their experience you know some of it is you got to start with the basics you got to understand where you are uh you can't measure yourself against uh other companies because I, I think that's really difficult i think there's a lot of companies out there that try to measure themselves against other companies but each company's unique and where you are is you know in that journey is unique so if you're willing to be honest about where you are i think that's where you start and um, so I think that's important. I also think that we talked about the employee experience, and I think that it's interesting when you look at that process and you start with how people engage with your company. You know, can people get through the application interview process? Are your managers ready to interview someone who might be disabled or neurodiverse? And then go through that onboarding process. Did you make that easy for somebody? So just like we talk about the spectrum of diversity. There's a spectrum of ways to have an inclusive talent acquisition process or onboarding or employment experience. And so when you're looking at those things, I think it's a really good way to assess where you are. Like, are, are is it 
again, and, and we go, I go back to all experiences are local. So are all the managers supporting and living your values that way? And if not, well, that's kind of your starting point and your baseline for that. So I think that's an important way to kind of gauge where you are. Matt, I mean, as we're talking about DE&I, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think there's so many aspects of it. You mentioned a few already that people don't necessarily think about. Neurodiversity is one where it's not necessarily a new term, but it's something that people are becoming more aware of. Is there some other hole or another gap that people may be missing or organizations may be missing when it comes to their hiring efforts, specifically with DE&I? Yeah, I think that there's been a lot more transparency, which I think is a great thing around mental illness and just where people are in that in that journey sometimes. And um, I didn't mention it before along the lines of diversity and inclusion, but it's certainly part of that and certainly part of inclusion. It certainly fits in with that. But I think it's affected a lot more people than we think of, uh, that, we, that we think about on a daily basis. And the majority of the population during and after COVID and with the overall conditions in, in the world today, it's a lot for people to take in and a lot for younger people, uh, really anybody. So, you know, I would just kind of say that understanding that candidates can have a bad day, that can end up in a bad interview, that doesn't mean they're not going to be a good employee. They're not going to be a good, you know, they're not a good candidate. And employees entering your company may enter at a difficult time in their lives. So, you know, you need to, and again, it goes back to that human factor and, and somebody talking to someone to say, hey, you know, you were really good, but, you know, you just seem kind of like you had something else on your mind. You seem distracted. You know, how are you feeling today? Or maybe we can do this a different day. So I think that that's another important way to think about it and keep in mind, especially through the talent acquisition process, because you can lose good people that way and everybody can have a bad day now and then. And, and you know, interviewing is stressful, those types of things. So, you know, give people a break and, and then recognize, you know, that people will need supports for mental illness. Matt, as we kind of close out here, maybe you can you know, be a little predictor for us. Is there something bold or something big, or even like, it, maybe it's the obvious one, but this is what I see um, coming from you as the the big thing in recruiting and talent acquisition in 2024. What do you want to, what do you, you kind of see there? Well, I think that, we are going to see companies that are really, um, as I said, I think in the beginning, are really thinking about talent acquisition in a different way than they did before. And I'm not relying on the fact that things might speed up or might slow down, uh, what that cycle is, when that cycle's coming. I don't think we can predict those things very well anymore. I think there are certain things like, you know, election years and things like that, where sure, there's definitely going to be some change. But I think my prediction is the companies that are going to be successful are going to be the ones that stick to their talent acquisition strategies. They'd say, this is our strategy and things may go a little up, a little down, a little sideways. But if we keep to this and if it's, you know, it includes the things like we've talked about with, you know, inclusion and diversity and, and you know, the appropriate use of technology, those types of things, and and they're really being thoughtful about the technology, I think they'll be successful. So I think it's, so that's one thing I think that companies can, you know, that I would predict good companies will be able to do. 
The other thing I'll predict is that as long as I've been in this business, technology will not take over. Um, it cannot. And I think there's, you know, the, the the process that we go through as human beings is human. It's rooted in that people want that. We talked about authenticity. So um, my other prediction is technology will not take over, certainly not in this process. And I think that there is many ways where we'll kind of say, you know, technology is helping us and it's doing some of the things I need it to do. But there's a point where I need to take the wheel. And I think in this case for talent acquisition, um, that's a very important time to take the wheel. Well, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. I think it seems pretty clear to me that we only scratched the surface on some of the things that companies need to look out for in 2024. So probably we're looking at a part two here, but thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. It's been great. Yeah, my pleasure, Joe. Great talking to you. To hear future episodes of this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen in. For Yo's Back to Work, I'm Joe McIntyre. Thanks for listening.